Greetings, Princeps. Welcome to the fifth episode of the God Machine Cast, a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus war game produced by Games Workshop. In this show, I'm going to cover the Legio Infector, the Murder Lords. But before all that, I once again ask you to like my Facebook page, The God Engine Cast, or share this podcast with your friends, or rate and review this podcast on your podcasting app of choice. Reviews, likes, and shares help spread the word of this podcast and improve the quality of the show. This works because of feedback, which is an important part of this, and I'm pulling out for feedback right now. If you have questions or comments, please contact me either through my Facebook page or by emailing me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com. Um, any feedback is good feedback. Uh, I need to know what's going on. Um, if there's something about the show you don't like, is there a particular topic you really enjoy me to covering? Is there a way you wish I'd cover some of the shows differently? Um, if I know this, then I know how to improve. And for those of you who've already left reviews and feedback, thank you. I have one community question for this week's episode. It's from Sandor from the UK. Sandor has uh, recently purchased the new uh, AT starter box and he's assembling the Titans in two different colours. He's planning to get Legio Prejudice and Legio Infernus. And he wants to know what he would, should arm the Warhound Titans with. Uh, he, he knows that lore-wise the Infernus should be running Inferno Cannons, but he wants to know whether I think it's a good idea. Now, looking at Legio Infernus traits, there are many reasons of taking the two Inferno Cannons. Their standard trait, Master of the Flame, means they get a better control over where the templates are put down. And the Clinging Phosphorex will make those Inferno Guns even better. But, I don't know. The community in general is divided on Inferno Cannons. I, for what it's worth, kind of like them. And I think if I was going to run them, running them as a pair probably is the way forward. That said, I've never run a pair of Inferno Cannons before, and my friend who's run them against me hasn't been that impressed. But I think it's how you use them. So the question is, if you're not running a pair of Inferno Cannons, what are you running it impaired with? I wouldn't run it impaired with a Plasma Blast Gun. Plasma Blast Gun doesn't want to be that close. It wants to be close, but not that close. The Vulcan Megabolter wouldn't be a bad choice, but it doesn't really add much killing power. And the um, Turbo Laser, while good, it generally wants to be further away. It works well as a sniper. So, I'm not sure. And given Legion of Furnace's only real trait affects Firestorm weapons, you really want to be maximising the number of Firestorm weapons you can have on the table. So, my gut says, go for it. Every Warhound in an Infernus battle force should be dual Inferno cannons. I wouldn't probably put Phosphorex on all of them, but one of the two, uh, and that'd probably go a long way. Now, equally, you mentioned later in your letter that your Reaver you're planning for your Legion of Furnace is going to go for a Melter and Chain Fist combination. I advise against this. The Melter Cannon and a Chain Fist doesn't work well together. You can't fire the Melter Cannon when you're that close to an enemy Titan. The chance of backscatter is too great. And to be honest, you're going to have your Warhounds closing on your enemy anyway. 
I'd probably look at running a Venator Maniple and giving your um, Reaver maybe two Melter Cannons, but probably a Melter Cannon and a Gatling Blaster or a Laser Blaster. His position would be to operate as the uh, final uh, finisher of an enemy Titan. Hopefully the Inferno Cannons can destroy enemy Titan's shields, and then you get the free shot of the Melter Cannon from your uh, Reaver to really damage the enemy. If it works well, you may then have a couple of other Firestorm Cannons to finish the enemy off. You're going to be throwing a lot of templates around, so you're going to be at a target shot. So again, having the ability to have the Gatling Blaster will help. I think if I was to collect Legion Infernus, I'd be running one or two small mana pools, or Venator. Then again, I have a feeling that, as I talk about later in the show, Legion Infernus is again going to be another good Titan Legion to throw in as a support Legion. You could throw a couple of uh, Warhounds with its souped up uh, Firestorm Cannons into a Legio Mortis list, just to get their effectiveness on the table. They are on the list of Titan Legions I will review, and I'll get there one day. Can't tell you when, but uh, at some point I'll do a more extended review. But I hope that helps you, Sandor. Um, thank you. If anyone else has any other questions, please email me or message me through Facebook. Thanks. If it was the hallowed Legio that made us into giants, then it was the will of the Warmaster that made us into gods. Princeps Senioris, Adun Cum, Legio Infector. So now we'll get into the main section of the show. In this section of the show, I am going to discuss the Legio Infector in its entirety. This is a very interesting Legio. Um, the amount written on them by the Black Library is sparse. Uh, even sparser than that of the Legio Graphonicus, which was my last review. So, the majority of the information has come what I can piece together by going through all reference material I could find on the subject. I'm going to talk through what I think is the story of Legio Infector at this time, and then I'm going to cite my sources. I'm going to refute some claims made in other places, and cite my sources there. And then I'll move on to the, the normal review of the actual rules of the uh, Legio. Now it's important to note, this Legio hasn't been covered in a black book by Forge World, which is why the reference material for this particular force is so limited. This is actually going to be the case of the majority of Legios, but this is the first time I've come across it while recording this podcast. So, the story of the Murder Lords starts at the start of the Great Crusade, where they were newly raised uh, to aid in the crusading efforts. During the undertaking, they uh, acquired many honours and were known as the Lords of Valor. That changed at Istvan III, but by that point they'd fallen under the influence of the Warmaster and sided with him against the Loyalists. After that dark day, the Legio Infector were known by a new name, the Murder Lords. That said, they didn't walk this path willingly, and because of the massacre, Magnus took root within Legion Infector. Those princeps not purged by the Warmaster during the Horus Heresy have been driven insane by the knowledge of their deeds, turning their desperation to the voices whispering in their minds as they slowly fall into chaos. Before they fell to chaos, we know their Titan Legion was based on the Forge World Valerius II. But there is some conversations, as in the 6th edition 40k rulebook, that has their home world being Riser. To me, this probably should indicate the fact that Valerius II was working with Riser, Valerius II being a smaller Forge World than the primary Forge World of Riser. 
But I'm sure we'll see more of those links when we get the exploration of Riser in full in the Defense of Riser book upcoming soon. We know that the murder lords were engaged in three primary engagements through the Horus Heresy at this time. We know they were at the Battle of Moltec and the Battle of Beta Garmin, plus obviously Estadan III. Due to their presence in Estadan III, it can be inferred that they were at the Dropside Massacre as well, but that hasn't been confirmed in any source. During the Battle of Moltec, they were key in the final assault at Iron Fist Mountain, the descriptions of which can be found within the Vengeful Spirit book by Graham McNeil, and in the description of the Fires from Heaven, the Battle for Iron Fist Mountain narrative mission, in the Doom Moltec book for Titanicus, page 66 and 67. Their presence on Beta Garmin is mentioned in passing, but they were deployed with the uh, uh, Knights of House Maccabus. When researching this episode, numerous sources pointed me towards the 6th edition rulebook for Warhammer 40k. Um, these were usually the sources that also cited the Murder Lords being a Troth Legion that was pretty close to the World Bearers. The 6th edition rulebook for 40k has a campaign uh, description at the back describing a series of battles between Chaos Space Marines and the forces of the Imperium. These Chaos Space Marines are led by the forces of the World Bearers, particularly a champion from the Horus Heresy. It is from this a lot of people have inferred the connections between the Myrtle Lords and the World Bearers. I can see no ties other than this one piece. And even these ties, I cannot be sure whether they are related to the Horus Heresy or related uh, to events that occurred post the Heresy during the millennia between 30k and 40k. The primary places to read up on the uh, Murder Lords are the Horus Heresy Duma Moltec book for Titanicus, the Core Rulebook for Titanicus, and obviously The Vengeful Spirit by Graham McNeil. There is some reference to them in Titan Death, but this is limited and mostly linking to what knights work with them. Additionally, as best I can tell, the only references to the uh, Titan Legion within the Graham McNeil Vengeful Spirit book are in chapters 14 and 20. Uh, chapters 20 being the main battle for uh, Lupercal. So that brings us to the actual rules of Legio Infector. Legio Infector has a fewer sets of rules than a normal Titan Legion. They have one Legio trait, two specific stratagems, and one piece of war gear. Their Legio trait is called Creeping Madness, and its description follows. Madness has taken root within the ranks of Legio Infector. Those precepts not purged by the Warmaster have been driven insane by the knowledge of their deeds, turning in desperation to the voices whispering in their minds. What this means in game is that when you activate the Titan in the movement phase, you are allowed to roll on the Infector Insanity table and have a random result applied to your Titan. You roll a d3 for this table. On a roll of a 1, it is Dark Embrace. The Titan gains the charge order and it must move towards the nearest Titan or enemy night banner by the shortest route possible, stopping if it reaches base contact with another model, and then it makes a smash attack or an attack with a melee weapon, obviously with the charge order applied. The next item on the insanity table is weapon overload. The Titan then gains first fire order for the duration of the turn. You then fire one ran weapon chosen randomly and make an attack against the weapon against the nearest enemy Titan or night banner. Counting the weapon strength as two higher than normal 
and one high and one dice higher than normal as well. After the attack has been made, the weapon is disabled. The third result is static screen. All Titans and Night Banners, both friend or foe within 12 inches of the Titan, must remove any active orders, with the exception of shutdown and emergency repair. Okay, so this trait is interesting. It is not efficient. It is not competitive, a scary word that shouldn't be used, but I use all the time. But it is fun. Now, obviously, this trait is very, very situational. Uh, you cannot control what you're going to get. There is a one-point stratagem traitors can take that allow you to re-roll the dice. But that is one stratagem point to allow you to re-roll on this table. And that's not going to help you a huge amount. That said, if you can get your titans in close to the enemy, many of these results will be good. If you have a titan within 12 inches of a bunch of enemy titans, no matter what you roll, you're going to be annoying your opponent. And at the end of the day, that's what you need to be doing with these titans. Don't have a, string, a strong plan of what you're going to do. Get in close, and then kind of let the titans make it up for you. Um, your opponent won't be able to plan for it, and you may have some luck. The trick is, is then, once the plan is revealed to you through the madness, you then need to capitalise on it, and show restraint by using the madness table after you've got a little advantage. The first Legio Pacific stratagem for the Legio Infector is the Portents of Doom stratagem. It is a two-point stratagem. Its narrative description is that gibbering prayers of darkness and murder spill forth from the Legion's titans, their war sirens broadcasting the insanity of the crews within. In battle, the Legio Infector's titans can scream out this stream of corrupting static from their war sirens, overwhelming enemies with their madness. The in-game effect is that this card is played at the start of the strategy phase, and for the duration of that turn, no orders can be placed on enemy titans or night banners that are within 12 inches of an Infector or Titan. This stratagem is brilliant. It's a lot like a modified version of Box Blackout. When you get close to the enemy titans, you can shut down their ability to give orders out, but with retaining your ability to give orders to yourself. Taken with Vox Blackout, this means you can have two turns of depriving your enemy of orders, which for some uh, particular legios will be devastating. The second stratagem is Tormented Machine Spirit. It is a one-point stratagem. Narrative description reads, the roots of chaos have dug deep into the workings of Legion Vector Titans. Demonic energies coil around the machine spirits of their god engines, driving them to extreme rage and madness. This stratagem is played when you would roll to see what effect an awakened machine spirit would have. Instead of rolling on the table, you play the stratagem card, and the titan gets to make an attack with each of its weapons. These attacks must be made to the closest model, friend or foe. So, this stratagem is interesting. It's really good on paper. The ability to get extra shots is just really good. The problem is, the triggers for this are... Mm, yeah. I mean, in reality, how many times do you fail the machine spirit test? In my experience, it's fairly low. And how often does the machine spirit test come up in a game? Again, fairly low. So, you're looking at a series of events happening to happen for you to play this card, that may make taking the card to be untenable. I mean, when it goes off, it will be fantastic. But it's just a chain of events you don't have any control over. Which is much like everything else in this Legio. You don't get much control over when things are going to become really powerful. So I'd be looking at taking steps away from this. 
The next Legio trait is the Pacific War Gear Static Rounds. The description is that the forges of Valerius II were once known for their extensive use of static technologies. Weapons created to disrupt and destroy energy barriers. The Legio could still call upon the great stores of these weapons, through, though their shells are now covered in profane icons to guide their flight. In-game, any Reaver or Warhound Titan armed with a Vulcan Megabolter may take static rounds for 15 points. When firing this Vulcan Megabolter against a target with an active Void Shield, the rapid trait occurs on a roll of a 5 or a 6. Um, this is better than the standard just rolling of a 6. I really like this piece of war gear, and I've seen many people borrow it when building uh, Crusade Legio lists. It's really good for stripping shields and makes those uh, Vulcan Megabolters even better. The limiting of it to the Reaver and the Warhound is an interesting one, and it really does discourage taking Warlords. That's my general feel with this entire Legio, but I'll cover that more in a minute. Overall, I think this is great and combines well to give the Legion some punch, something it was missing in other places so far. Next up are the Legio personal traits. The first trait is Dark Fanatic. The Princept has heard the call of a higher power and has become filled with a dark determination that governs all their actions. In-game, this means when you suffer catastrophic damage, you roll the d10 as normal. But instead of consulting the standard catastrophic damage chart, you look at this table. On a 6, 7, 8 or 9, the damage is ignored and has no effect. If it's any other result, your Titan catastrophically melts down. So basically, a Princeps Titan can only stay alive or go thermonuclear. That is fairly fun. The next trait is Ravening Madman. The Princeps is completely insane, their perceptions bearing little relation to reality. From then on, when you roll a d10, such as determining for the first player or when making a command check, the princeps of the battle group can count any roll of a 9 as a 6, or any 6 as a 9. Now at first glance, this may just seem completely redundant, but there are plenty of times where I want that 6 to already be a 9. That's the main way I'd be transferring these numbers. I'm trying to get the first turn, I'm trying to make my, my titans explode better on a catastrophic meltdown, but then again, you can downgrade the amount of damage you take from a heat overload, so that's something. Um, yeah, it has a place, and if you're running a multiple mana pool battle group, you may want to make one of your Senioris's um, a Ravening Madman, just so you get the ability to do this throughout the game. The final trait is Hollowed Out. The Princept is little more than a shell propped up at the command throne, a puppet to the demonic will of the Titan's machine spirit. Basically, this Titan does not add plus two to the command checks for being a Princeps Senorius. However, the Princeps Titan ignores all damage affecting from critical damage to the Titan's head, i.e. the head does not matter to this Titan. So now I'm just going to do a quick tactical overview of what I think of their rules. In general, they're okay. They aren't a top tier group. Um, and they aren't going to be that effective for every game. But they have a lot of inbuilt randomness, and sometimes that randomness is going to work out in your favour. Now, I don't think there's much to be gained for creating great, well-thought-out battle plans with this particular force. Your best bet is to take a bunch of titans, rush them towards the enemy, and just see what happens. Having no plan is, at times, better than having a plan, and it's going to be very hard for your opponent to counter such a manoeuvre. So what you need to do, both with list building and general strategy, is find ways to lean into the randomness, but also work out ways to mitigate possible outcomes. 
By this I mean, the Infector Insanity table works best when you're close to enemies and apart from your own. So don't run maniples that has your Titans standing next to each other, but run maniples that reward you for getting close to your enemy. Also, as you're rolling randomly, rolling multiple times is more likely to give you the result you want. Thus, you need to roll more, so you want more Titans on the table. You also need to make sure that when you roll the right results, you've got the right weapon to hand. So that also means you're going to need to take plenty of good weapons. Because of this, and the fact that static rounds lean into only two types of titans, I really can only recommend taking Warhounds and uh, Reavers. They work very well for this uh, uh, Legio. You can get in close with them and start causing some real damage when you get in short range. They aren't like Legio Vulpa, who I'll cover eventually, who want to be really close. But this Legio does want to be occasionally able to reach out and get you. You want to make sure you're nearly always in charge range and uh, be prepared to throw down some stratagems to stop the enemies from working. Really, with Vox Blackout and Portents of Doom, you just want to close the distance, and then once you're within 12 inches, just spend two turns denying the enemy the ability to use stratagems. Uh, that alone will mess up their plans, especially with you just then randomly firing up uh, the insanity table after you use Vox Blackout. All your titans are getting orders. You don't know which ones, but it's going to be fun to find out. So, putting those thoughts into action, I'd actually look at running the Rupture Battleline Maniple. I know, that includes the Nemesis, which isn't on one of the preferred Titans, but I think it adds something. I would probably run a full Rupture with three Reavers and uh, uh, two Warbringers. With my remaining points, I'd then splash in some Night Banners, or maybe a Warhound or two. The Rupture Maniple allows one of the Reavers to always be able to move with its full speed, uh, without generating extra heat. But, when you are able to destroy an enemy Titan, you then can make an immediate move as if it was the movement phase, which is kind of fun. Now a point I have requested clarification on was when they say move as the movement phase, does that also activate abilities that would be activated during the movement phase at the same time? I.e., can you roll on the insanity table instead of making a move after the rupture maniple just applies catastrophic damage to an enemy titan? If that is the case, you can pull some really fun shenanigans with this list. You can push in really close, really quickly with the Reavers, and then, you know, just start going crazy. Uh, each time an enemy titan is taken out by one of the nemesis, all the Reavers go crazy again, potentially shooting up another target. Um, yeah, this could really compound problems. But even if you can't pull off that trick, the ability for all your Reavers to move again just makes it that bit harder for the enemy to predict what you're going to do. There is just inherent randomness in your plan. Um, and that is good for you. So basically, I'd look at running two Warbringers, probably with Volcano Cannons, uh, and then three Reavers with a mix of short-range firepower weapons. I wouldn't look at using Volcano Cannons on the Reavers, and I probably wouldn't look at putting close combat weapons on them. Maybe one of them would get a, a Power Fist, but probably only the one. The idea is those Reavers get within, you know, short range, eight inches. Um, so they're a maximum placement to really dole out the hurt, regardless of what craziness they unlock. Um, your support titans, whether a couple of warhounds or knight support banners, also follow them in pretty close. Um, I prefer warhounds, as they give you more opportunity to roll on the madness charts, um, but that's not as important. Your princeps and yours would be one of the reavers, uh, probably with a dark fanatic rule, so when it dies, it's going up big time. Um, but, and then I would look at taking some 
pretty good supportive stratagems. In addition to Vox Blackout and Portents of Doom, I'd probably look at making sure I'd taken a Profane Blessing or two from the Warped Rookery stratagems. They'd allow me to throw in some rerolls. There's nothing saying I couldn't use a reroll on the Madness table where necessary. So I probably should also mention the War of Fate stratagem card. It's in the Doom of Maltec book, and I haven't covered it yet in the strategy in my coverage. Basically, you roll a d10, and you see whether it's an odd or even number. If it's an odd, then you count all sixes as ones on d6 rolls, and all tens as ones on d10 rolls. If it's an even roll, you count all ones as sixes, and any uh, uh, ones as tens. Now, obviously, with the Revening Madman uh, Princip straight, uh, you get to pick what outcome you want, which is rather fun. Um, and thinking along those lines, you may want to be taking two mana pools. Now, that is actually possible. You can reassemble the, the suggested models into a Corsair and a Arcus mana pool with a, two supporting Warhounds and then a, another Bring a Titan on the side. That plays out a very similar strategy. The Corsair runs up towards the center of the table. The Arcus hides its uh, Warbring and lob shells while the two Warhounds run up the table. And in that one, you get the two uh, Princeps. I'd probably run the Princeps in the ma uh, Corsair Manipole as a Dark Fanatic, and then probably a Ravening Madman in the Arcus group. Um, it would work pretty well. Uh, again, take plenty of static rounds on your Titans, uh, strip the shields, and then let the... Uh, uh, Warbringers start taking out the uh, enemy titans with the volcano cannons. You wouldn't get the extra moves, but the Corsair does allow for some tactical flexibility, and you're going to need that at times. This Legio really rewards players who are good at thinking on their feet. You really just throw everything at the enemy and see what starts happening. And once you see an opening, you then need to start playing less randomly and exploit the weakness you've been able to create. The Insanity Table gives you bonuses. And those bonuses can be capitalized on with strategic moves following the randomness. So, it's a very different way to play the game. Completely different than, say, Legio Graphonicus, which is all about lining out a plan at the start of the game. The Murder Lords are kind of their, their foil. The Murder Lords just see what happens and then you uh, come up with the rest of the plan on the fly. Uh, and can be really effective. Then again, I'm generally against such strategies. Um... I've been an orc player for a long time in 40k, and I know how the dice gods can hate the random tables. You won't necessarily get the results you want when you want them. So you're going to have to be prepared to lose some games because the dice just didn't want to work out that they came. But then again, there is going to be the game where everything works out and suddenly you've had a miraculous game where it does seem like you were in control of the plan from the start. You weren't, but it will look like you were. This legion will appeal to many players who've been chaos players for a long time who remember the random tables. Um, and it has all the joys that come with it. Just, if you're going to run Legion Infector, be prepared to lose games. It's going to happen. They aren't strategically as strong as the other t many of the other Titan Legios. They are no match for um, the Death Set, nor the Geographonicus. At least, at least in my opinion. I'm sure someone out there will use them and finally tune them into a scary battle force. But it's just not going to be me. I just say, lean in and have fun with a random table. It will lead to some fun games. I've used them more than once. Uh, I played the narrative mission in the uh, uh, Doom and Maltec book, and I've really enjoyed it. So, have fun. So, if I was to collect the Murder Lords, I'd probably start up with the current starter box. You get two Reavers and the two Warhounds. I'd then buy an extra Reaver, probably the other configuration of weapons that you require, and at least one Nemesis. 
probably two, so I could run the rupture. Um, after that, I'm not sure where I would go. Um, to be honest, at that point, you've got a pretty good force, and you may want to look at taking another Titan Legio to run alongside them. That is something I have to talk about in the future. I definitely think there are some ways to combo rules of taking a couple of uh, Titans from many Legios, uh, Traitor and Loyalist, to build some really fun-looking lists. But that's a conversation for another day. Right now, let's focus on how I would hobby with the Legio Infector. I don't think I'd really reinvent the wheel for these guys. Their paint scheme is really iconic. In fact, it's so iconic, it used to be a different Legio. Back in the day, 1988, um, when the first version of Adeptus Titanicus came out, the black and red colour scheme that now is Legio Infector was actually Legio Mortis. Um, so I would really probably want to lean into some of the original iconography from the uh, 1988 game. Although I potentially wouldn't do the kill banners, or the banners between the legs, I'd probably look at doing the back banners. Large banners, flying the Eye of Horus, and other Chaos Sigils could be really good fun to put on these Titans. And I'd probably look to that on conversions. Um, Painting-wise, I'd probably stick with the standard black and red paint scheme. Um, no reason really to change it. That said, in the 41st millennium, they have inverted the colour scheme to being a dark red with bronze trimming. Uh, it's actually the forge wheel paint scheme they use quite a bit on a lot of the Chaos Titans. Um, so I'd probably look at the odd panel drifting that direction. Particularly, perhaps on the Reavers, that have a wide body, some of the panels on the back could be painted red um, within the bronze trimmings. Um, you may want to do some of the detailing as bronze. Um, if you do collect a Warlord, perhaps bronze trimming the Aquila or the Eye of Horus would be a good trick. Um, yeah. Also, although we don't really know which Legios worked with the uh, Infectors, we do know they had good strong ties to the Dark Mechanicum. So, putting additional parts on that look like Dark Mechanicum's uh, experimentations, probably not a bad plan. Whip coils, tendrils, that sort of stuff. I'd keep away from the demonic engine look, but uh, there's still a long way to go in the sort of crazy works that the Dark Mechanicum could have been putting onto these Titans. After all, their princeps are kind of crazy, so I'm more than likely just to let the uh, Mechanicum do what they want. Also because of this, chains. Chains look really good on uh, Chaos models. A lot of crazy, crazy Chaos uh, Demon engines have to be tied down between battles. And you can clearly see that Legio Infector probably fall into that category as well. They're sort of unleashed on their opponent and let their madness just charge the enemy lines. So there are plenty of places you could put a very, very fine jewellery chain on. Uh, to make it look well, similarly, the, the Dark Mechanicum restrain these Titans between uh, battles. Uh, also because of that, I'd look at weathering these Titans pretty heavily. These Titan crews don't really care about their Titan's honour anymore. They've sort of drifted away from that. So I would probably weather it, start making it look pretty clear that, you know, these Titans aren't being maintained in that sense. The Dark Mechanicum are going to keep the Titans running, but they probably aren't going to fix the paint. So random patches, uh, paint sections that are just left in a sort of standard mechanical primer would all be a pretty good way of demonstrating that. Be hard to do, but I'm sure a talented artist can make it work. As explained in the book several places, no Legio was entirely traitor or loyalist. And I try and talk about how I would collect the opposite of what the standard is for a Legio when doing a review. I'm really struggling with that with the Murder Lords. Mostly 
because the Murd Lords were formed on Istvan III. Before that, they were the Lords of Valor, and the Lords of Valor, to me, are a very different Titan Legion. The traits in the Doom and Maltec book are for the Murder Lords, not for the Lords of Valor. With the exception of the Static Rounds, there's very little that is there from before they turn traitor. So, if I was going to collect a Lords of Valor Titan collection, I'd probably want to use the rules in the White War for a custom Legio, or the Defense of Rise rules that are coming soon. In that case, I'd probably put together a list that looks very similar to this. So, I would look at taking the Dark Reputation trait, because after all, they knew have a Dark Reputation, most of their brethren are now the Murder Lords, and I'd take the Survivor's trait, because there aren't that many of them left. I'd let them take the Static Round War Gear, and that's probably where I'd leave them. I would consider the Endurance and Terror as a war doctrine, to represent the fact they are trying their hardest to stay alive, and maybe Static Rain as the other, because, you know, Static Rounds. So that brings me to the end of my coverage of the Legio Infector. They're an interesting Legio. I'm not sure I'm rushing out to play them. Their rules are a little odd, and probably not my cup of tea. But they definitely are unique, and are very, well, chaotic. I look forward to seeing them referenced in future books. I'm really interested to see if they ever build on the tie they have to Riser. Maybe we'll see something more in the Defense of Riser book. Wouldn't take much. A few paragraphs here or there would add a lot more character to this Legio. And I'll look forward to seeing what Forge will do in the future. Given their appearance in the actual Black Library books, I expect we're going to see them eventually in one of the uh, Black books by uh, the Horus Heresy mainline. Um, they are planning a lot of those books, so I expect a majority of the Titan Legions will eventually appear whenever that happens. Focusing back on the rules, I think they really are missing out for having only the one Legio trait. Um, most Legios have the tear, and I do think a second trait that is not as random would go a long way to making this Legio a lot more playable. I think giving them the Dark Reputation trait from the Standard White Dwarf article would be not a bad plan. And, you know, if I had a friend who was playing this Legio a lot, I'd probably let them take it. It fits with their lore, and uh, also works a lot with what their other powers are. Uh, automatically shaking knights if they get too close is pretty fun. But either way, I hope those people who've been requesting my coverage of the Murder Lords are happy with this. If not, please email me or message me through Facebook. I'll happily add corrections or make place for your input. I'm sure there's some tricks and tactics I've just overlooked. Um, but I think I've done them a fair shot. As I hinted at earlier, I think one of the best uses for the Murder Lords is dropping a single Murder Lord Titan next to a support as a support Titan to another maniple. Having a single Titan, say a Reaver with some uh, a Vulcan Megavolta with the static rounds, charging up the table and has the potential to go crazy, is probably a lot easier to fit into a battle plan than, say, an entire army of them. Uh, and given the fact you can take a single support Titan with Legio rules, uh, it's probably a good idea. Um, like I said, in a few months, I'm going to go through most of these lists and start putting together lists with support titans and how you can match rules together to build a really good, powerful list. But for now, I think I'll leave it there. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this show. If you have questions or communications you wish to be included next, e next episode, please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to me through Facebook. Please give me some feedback. Let me know how I'm doing. Um, so far, everyone who's contacted me tells me they love the show. But I'm sure there are some folks out there who can think of improvements. So please let me know.
my plan is for my next show to be an introduction to nice households. I've not really played with nice households much, and when I was planning to do this episode, I was hoping to have had an opportunity to go up to Oklahoma City and play a few games. So, I may change it up before then. In the meantime, if you happen to be a night player and have a lot of input on the subject, please contact me. But, until the next time, I wish you all well and good fortune.